Welcome to the Revenue Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside revenue enablement teams across the global RES community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches shares the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate revenue enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by enablement teams and go-to-market leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, founder of Revenue Flywheel Group, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of revenue enablement, where there's never a one-size-fits-all solution. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Revenue Enablement Society podcast, Stories from the Trenches, the podcast where we bring together practitioners and experts from our field from all over the globe. We talk about the innovative ways that they're getting things done. We talk about what what they're working on and sometimes even the things that didn't go so well because there's always a lot to be learned from that. So we want to welcome you and also welcome our guest for this episode, we have with us from Forrester, Peter Astro. Uh, Peter, some of you may know the name because he is a member at large of the RES Executive Board. Peter also is VP and Principal Analyst at Forrester. So welcome, Peter. Maybe uh, introduce yourself a little bit about what uh, what you're working on. Thanks, Paul. I uh, appreciate the time to spend uh, with you and the, what is this, the 498th Stories from the Trenches episode or something pretty close to that? At least the 498th take, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been a great series. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so as Paul mentioned, um, I followed up a long career in B2B selling, sales management, enablement, and ops with coming to this side of the equation where I don't really do anything. I just tell people what to do. It's a great gig. I recommend it highly. Um uh, I live uh, outside of Boston. We've got some piles of snow outside from the storm this past weekend. We've got a lot of questions about the future of Bill Belichick. Um, <laughs> and uh, those will all be resolved uh, one way or the other by springtime, both the weather and our once awesome Patriots capabilities here. Um, fun fact, Paul, um, in college, I was a member of uh, what I think to this day is the only ice skating pep band in the world. That is a fun fact. What you and I have known each other for quite a long time, and I think it's the first one time I've sprung that one on you. I think it is. What instrument did you play on skates? I was in the Brown University Band initially okay. on clarinet and okay. saw that the percussion folks were having a lot more fun and drinking a lot more. Mm-hmm. So I made that transition. Um, my roommate, senior year, was was the bass drummer. So someone would skate dragging the bass drum behind them and he would nice. skate behind playing the <laughs> bass drum i mean y- you won't find me on youtube but you can certainly youtube um you know brown 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 university uh, ice hockey band and i see the, the shenanigans that go on uh, that sounds worthwhile i will do that but for now we're going to play the jimmy kimmel challenge are you ready all right so later this year kimmel decides to retire through your connections you are offered his late night show and you can have anybody you want as your first guest. Who did you invite? Who will you invite? And why did you choose them? Living or not living? Living or not living? Uh, Barack Obama. All right. I think um, that's the first time that he has come up. Michelle's been mentioned twice that I can think of. But, uh, but why, President, why President Obama for you? Um, two reasons. One, I want to find out if he's going to become the new president of Harvard University. Because that's been floated around. And number two, just very honestly, Paul, um, my mom and dad, George and Ina Ostro, still kicking at 92 and 89, um, raised 
my siblings and me with what I consider to be a pretty high bar of um, class, ethics, morality. And I think President Obama demonstrated in the public sector at least as much of that as any famous person I've ever paid attention to. Nobody's perfect, but I'd love to have him for a guest show guest. I, I would love to, if I was on that show with you, would ask him about hot boxing as Barry Obama back in Hawaii <laughs> back in the day because he's right. talked about that. He's referred to it, I guess I should say. I'll bet there's more stories there than what he is uh, has shared publicly. So need to get him on that show. All right, so let's talk about AI. There's a topic nobody's talking about. Um, but in all seriousness, as you and I were preparing for this, uh, one of the things that I would really am looking forward to talking with you in that you brought up in San Diego at the RES conference, which has been a few months by the time this airs, and that is that there's a lot of excitement about AI, but also a lot of fear, or at least concern, and, and that maybe we're not, as a profession, not being as proactive as we should be. Um, did I get that right? And you want to elaborate on that for me? Yeah. Um, you and I have had many conversations about this, and I'm not just saying that to pander. We literally have had conversations mm-hmm. at this, and our board our board memberships have overlapped with, with that happening. Um, enablement is too often a reactive function. It's too often the folks that we throw a bunch of other stuff at because we can't figure out who is going to take care of it. That tends to not only dilute the effectiveness of enablement because they make they, they become more of a jack of many trades instead of a master of few, Junk but it also downgrades the view people have of them. They're just going to do this extra training. They're going to run this extra SCO event. Mm-hmm. And if enablement deserves, let alone wants, some sort of a seat at the grown-ups table of decision-making, mm-hmm. um, there needs to be a way in which they become more of a leader inside the organization. And you and I know this, anybody can be a leader. It doesn't matter what your job title is if you have no right. people reporting to you. The same goes for functions. And the interesting thing about enablement is vast majority of folks in the space, from what I see with my customers, our customers, and frankly, what I see even from the customers of all of the enablement automation vendors, is they have yet to really do much with it. Hardly anything in the enablement space. And I feel like it's just analysis paralysis. Well, we don't know what. We're waiting for someone else to tell us. What is the security? What is the privacy? The fact is, 95% of the folks who are in our community who are listening to this already are paying every single month times 50 or times 500 or times 5,000 reps Mm -hmm. for their revenue enablement automation technology. It's there. It's integrated with your CRM. You're hopefully seeing people use it pretty well. You're already paying for brand new generative AI and relatively new AI capabilities. And like so many apps that we use as consumers, you're not getting everything you're paying for. Okay. And so that is a great opportunity to go to the vendors and say, hey, you now have generative AI and AI capabilities, and I think I'm already paying for them. We need to step up our relationship and show me what I can and should be doing now. So when you said a minute ago that there's not enough being done with it, you're referring to the practitioners, not the platforms. Um, Platforms are all great. Um, We took a look at all of them last summer, and uh, they're not all quite 
at the exact same level of maturity and advancement, but even the the least advanced of them are doing they've all done things with AI for a while, right? AI is AI is not smart. AI is just a lot faster and a lot more of manual labor. If it's a matter of figuring out which asset is right for this seller in this buyer situation at this stage of their deal in this market with this skew in this geography, that's just manual taxonomy automated by AI. The generative piece has enormously bigger you know, perspective and, and possibilities. And they've all brought them, even the least of them, to a really nice place. Um, it, it's really, it's a moment. I refer to it as equivalent to the Y2K moment. Okay. Some of our audience won't know what we're talking about. Those who do recognize that Y2K was a moment 25, 27 years ago when we kind of got our you-know-what's out of our you-know-what's. We, we stopped worrying about our individual silos and budgets. And we all said, wow, we collectively, capital W, need to fix this or address this. Gen AI is really the first technology innovation that's that big and that broad since that interesting, time. Uh, interesting observation. I, I love what you said a couple minutes ago about not, not being reactive all the time. And I absolutely agree with you. It's, you know, if that's how you choose to operate, um, you will become a dinosaur or luxury quickly. And, yeah. and so, I, in fact, I, I talked about this recently on another um, podcast, the fact that in my experience, too many folks in the enablement profession continue to be waiters, as in a restaurant, people ask for stuff and you bring it, as opposed to challengers. And yes, I'm, you know, challenger with a capital C. Um, yeah. and, and just that mindset, right, that mindset of that, I think you're espousing, which is Understanding the needs of the business, proactively going out, identifying gaps, and in this case, we're talking about we're going to talk about how do you use AI um, to show a lead, take a leadership position in your company and using it. So, what are the biggest things our you know the enablement folks listening right now? Let's start with what should they be thinking about? They're nodding vigorously. They're excited about what <laughs> you're saying. Well, where to start? What should they think about? Good place to start would be number one. Think about replacing your interns or the equivalent of your interns, but not your sellers. So what do I mean by that? That's a little bit mysterious. Um, If you think about the easiest part of your job, Paul, or my job or an enablement professional's job, what's the stuff that you can do when you're tired at the end of the day, just fine, versus the stuff that you really need to be bringing your A game for? The parts of our jobs, whether it's content creation, course creation, coaching, whatever it might be, in enablement that you could bring an intern or a fairly junior level employee in, teach them a few things, and they could probably do a reasonably good job right from moment five, if not moment one. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are things that AI can probably do for us. The time savings that all of us are starting to recognize are achievable with foundational and maybe foundational to intermediate level complex Mm -hmm. tasks Mm -hmm. is great time to replace. What we don't want to replace is the high performance, nuanced, professional, on the field, judgment-based capabilities of our best B2B sales people. Um, So that would be sort of point number one for things we should know about and be thinking about. Number two would be to have Peter admit that the things he's been saying for years about keeping enablement at an arm's length from the IT department 
are kind of no longer appropriate. And I will take a dive on that one. Okay. Enablement technology, like any line of business technology, is usually best implemented with a bit of a distanced relationship from the folks in the technology space because they normally want to own and build and buy all the stuff on their own and they don't always get what we're doing out in the field. Enablement's always been like that. That's why all of the vendors in our space sell to the chief revenue officer or sales or revenue ops or sales or revenue enablement, not to IT. They may sell to marketing, right? But they're not going to sell to IT. Now, this second point is about being more willing to understand and become more expert on data lake quality. This would be the single point I would want folks to to take away. Um, A good generative AI solution points at something. ChatGPT points at the entire internet. Mm -hmm. Um, Our own in-house Forrester, and all companies probably have this by now, version of ChatGPT points at everything on the internet, but it doesn't allow us to put confidential stuff on there. Um, the generative AI solutions that we already have from these enablement automation providers are going to be pointing at our own artifacts, our content, our PowerPoints, our PDFs, our spreadsheets, our lists, our private stuff, and making sure that we understand how important the quality of that data lake is, that things are up to date. That is going to become a much more important competency for enablement leaders because it's a brand new one than it ever was for any enablement leaders in the past. Um, so you're talking governance, Peter? When, when you're governance. That, or is it something more? It is governance married with awareness. You know, okay. um, I, I don't think we need for enablement folks to go back to school and stop enabling and start getting a PhD in data science or in, you know, uh, global governance and economic policy. But they need to be more aware of those limitations and expectations than they once were. In your experience, does that also include that that awareness and the things you're talking about, especially with the content and the data lake, as you called it? Enablement is that enablement plus product marketing, enablement plus someone else. Where, yeah, where Y2K that, time. Should that live for you? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I don't care that much where responsibilities live. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the advantages of being an analyst, Paul. You just tell people what to do. You don't really care yeah. whether they get it done or I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, mostly joking. Um, uh, as with Y2K, where organizations came together and said, we, capital W, have to be able to do this, Addressing AI in most of our organizations has become an, you know, an organization-wide initiative. Then we all retreat to our own little fiefdoms and our own little departments and our own little budgets and our own little egos. And we're like, what are they going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? It's inevitable. It's ingrained in Western business culture that we kind of think that way. Um, it's important for someone to do it. My pitch to our audience mm-hmm. is for enablement to take one of the leading voices in that. It doesn't matter who ultimately executes, but if you're a leading voice in it, you are leading and people will follow. So we talked about what they need to know, what they need to understand, what they need to learn, but now it's time to put it into action. What do they need to do, right? Beginning, it's early in the year. People are thinking about this stuff anyway. What's your, what's your advice? This is a dramatic change in competencies. We spend a lot of time helping our enablement customers upgrade and up-level the competency maps for all of the selling and other customer-facing roles that they support. What does someone need to be good, great, or amazing at, or 
which competencies do we buy when we hire, build when we onboard, and promote when we ever board around the skills and the knowledge and the process uh, pieces to be great at my individual contributor or managerial job. Mm -hmm. So those competencies evolve over time as we change what we sell to who we sell it, um, how we sell it. When there's a global socioeconomic crisis, a big industry thing happens, technology innovation, legal um, ramifications, mergers, acquisitions. This is another very important competency. Um, And what I'm referring to is pretty much prompt engineering, right? We've all hopefully by now played with chat GPT or similar tools, and we've started to figure out how do I communicate with this enormous pile of data in very easy English in in order to get the most out of it? It's, it's not hard, but to be able to do that efficiently will help add the only currency that matters to B2B sales professionals, time. We know, for instance, that high-performing organizations reps spend 12% less time looking for, searching for, modifying content than reps in low-performing organizations. Everything enablement should do should be about two things, helping folks adapt to the winning behaviors that the company wants them to move toward and save them time. And they work with RevOps on the latter piece. So the skill set is super important, both for enablement as well as for the sellers. And then the other thing I'd say is to always be thinking with them, what's in it for me for your customers? Um, I believe, I know we've had these discussions that the customer of enablement is the Salesforce or the entire revenue team, whoever faces your customers. Mm -hmm. They are our customers because they're the people that we interact with. Of course, the outside customers are their customers by default. Those folks, of course, are writing the checks. But our customers, what do they need? Internal they, customers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They want us to help them with their efficiency and decision-making. They want us to tell them what to do and how to do it. They want us to give them content, answers, and insight. And by gum, they don't want us to give them a hammer in search of a nail. Hey, everybody, we're in luck. We just bought some artificial intelligence. Yeah, we bought it. It was on the fourth aisle four down at Stop and Shop next to the cookies. And now you're all going to consume it. You know, we don't want to see that. So the opportunity to create things, evaluate things, learn things, and understand things is enormously increased by these capabilities. You know, and I don't think there's probably a lot of folks listening who need to know more tactically what you and I mean by all of those phrases. We've all played around with it. Yeah. And we should keep playing with it. The easiest thing for anybody who's never done it, who's listening to this is just go to ChatGPT and just start playing. It's yeah. so easy. You can't break it. Can't break it. Can't break it. Yeah. No. So so you mentioned earlier, if you have any of the enablement platforms, you probably are paying for AI you haven't used. So low hanging fruit, go talk to your CSM at the vendor, find out what you've got. And start figuring out ways to lead inside the company by using it. You're already paying for it. So you mentioned that. Number two, um, you're talking about actually get your hands dirty with it. Open up ChatGPT account, play with it, mess around with it, that sort of thing. What else? Find like-minded leaders inside the organization um, who are also playing and toying around with it. There are, in most of our companies, rules and regs that says, attention, everybody, you know, it's like banning TikTok, right? No one, no one gets to use this without our permission because we're still figuring out what our what our coverage is. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but you know what? We are already using every single moment the revenue automation tool, and it's already pointing at all of our documentation. It's pointing at our our 
our battle cards. It's pointing at all of our objects. We just want to continue having it point at our objects, but to gain better insights from it. Um, you know, I've got a couple of quotes, and I'm going to look on. Uh, I'm going to look on one of my slides here because it's easier to just sort of share them than to remember what they are. Um, the things that we talk to folks about uh, the capabilities, either now or very short from now, include things like, "Hey, machine." Here's a PDF from my prospects website and our company's product list. Write me an email linking our most appropriate products to their most pressing needs. Or look through our internal artifacts to tell me which of our competitors' services are most like or unlike ours. Or um, turn this email message into a social media post targeted at CTOs. Or Mm -hmm. compare this digital sales room with these six other digital sales rooms and tell me which assets are most and least often consumed by our buyers. Or listen to this meeting recording and tell me who the economic buyer is. Or watch this recording and tell me what you know my body language was, good and bad. Evaluate me, rate me. I mean, speaking of that, there's one little widget that's on the market now where it can be right in the corner of the screen and tell me if I'm speaking too slowly or in a monotone. Or it can tell me if I'm behaving in a little bit of a, of a threatening way, right? Or if I'm being yeah. very closed off. The biometrics capabilities, that's well beyond conversation intelligence, which we all right. are familiar with, um, pretty impressive. Yeah. I've also heard a cool use case of having uh, AI analyze an RFP. Oh, yeah. So we have not seen... They're they're, they're large, they're boilerplate, and it's easy to miss stuff in them. And anyway, this is another use case where I've seen... uh, Yeah, I I still... ...response teams using it. Yeah, yeah, I still have you know, childhood trauma of thinking about RFPs that I had to respond to in the past, or, you know, young adult trauma. Um, Yeah, and those, those are tough. Those are really tough. What's interesting is... All right, did you ever own a radar detector for your car? Yeah, still do. Okay. It's built I don't in, bother anymore. Yeah. yeah. It, it, when I was a radar detector owner, it felt like the same companies were selling to consumers this capability. Then they would sell law enforcement that <laughs> capability. Then we had to catch up and we'd have to yep. sell by this. And it was just like, you know, iPhone 95, right? They just keep selling it to us. I feel like AI has got that capability with buyers and sellers. We don't have research yet on specific buyer behavior utilizing AI, Mm -hmm. what's to stop us right now from saying, hey, go out and examine these five different offerings based on their website, based on their G2 rating, based on the Forrester Wave, based on the Glassdoor, based on whatever, and tell me the strengths and weaknesses of all of them given my particular needs. If, If there's not an... I don't know anything about the world of procurement, I mean, I don't know if anybody wants to, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a procurement weenie. Probably not. But you got to, we've got to assume there's companies out there that are, that have been, there's companies that sell to procurement. They're going to yeah. be selling these tools. So it's, it's the radar detector yeah. over and over and over, over again. And over again. It'll, oh, be, it'll be like the Cold War. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we've got sales methodology workshops. There are procurement methodology, for lack of a better phrase, yeah, workshops yeah. have been for years. A lot of companies have figured out this is a, a, a cost, uh, excuse me, it could be a, uh, a profit center, more of a profit center. Oh, absolutely. By, and if there's training any training them to effectively negotiate, bonusing them on, you know, discounting that they re- receive. And yeah, it's a whole industry. It's oh, yeah. Up against if they don't realize that. So. And for all the procurement weenies on the call who I've offended, I recognize that for companies like Walmart and their supply chain and Amazon and their supply chain and things like that. No, these these are enormous cost savers. And all of us yeah. who have ever been through any kind of a riff or anything like that know how important it is to have that stuff at hand. As a sales 
professional, uh-huh. you know, not a fan for all the not obvious reasons. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, that, that's, it's interesting analogy with the, with the speed uh, or the, the radar detectors and the technology they're selling to both sides. Um, so we're, we're coming close up on time and I want to leave a, a, a couple minutes for you to drop some knowledge on us, uh, life experience knowledge. So to wrap up, what else would you, you know, would you admonish our listeners at this point? Hopefully they're getting more comfortable or excited about the idea of digging into AI. What, what, uh, what's the last thing you'd leave with them? I would implement and execute on AI as not its own initiative. Okay. Um, just the way we say to folks, um, if you are going to buy insert revenue enablement, vendor product here, mm-hmm. please, please do not go to your Salesforce and say, hey, everybody, welcome to January of 2024, SCO. This year, we're going to recognize this, we're going to award that, and everybody, we're going to be implementing Acme software. Or we already that did. Just, <laughs> that's just the perpetuation of the perception of enablement as the peddler of tools. If enablement, if I don't see enablement as the people who are going to get me to my number, enablement should all be fired. I just literally agree. The only thing that matters to me as a seller is my deals right now. So your AI initiative should be tucked into things that you're going to do to make my life better. Hey, everybody, we've been hearing some things about productivity. We've been thinking, hearing things about, you know, findability, searchability, skill sets. Introducing at SCO 2024, you know, Acme Vision 25, you know, I'm not a creative person. So you brand your initiative about better sales learning, better sales content management, you know, better this or that. What are we doing in this initiative? We've heard from you and we're going to be doing A, we're going to be doing B, we're going to be doing C. And then by the way, once we've done those things, we're going to automate it with some new stuff that we purchased. Don't worry about the the provenance of it. You know, trust us, you know, we're, we don't be the peddler of technology, be the... Okay be the greaser of the skids to get me to my number. That's the whiffum that matters to your customers. And and if the AI initiative is anything but that, then don't bother. It's a lot. I mean, I'm listening to you and this is how, at least hopefully, enablement teams are, are teaching and coaching sellers to sell. You really just use what you're hopefully teaching others to do, right? When, when with seller, if you have a seller that goes out and just starts sprout, spouting off product uh, features, and that sort of thing without really any any business acumen, it's not going to be a great discovery and it's not going to land well. And I think what I hear you saying is the same thing. If you just start yeah. spouting off features, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this, you don't position it, you don't tie it back to things that you've heard, problems that you helped identify, all of that uh, makes all the difference in the world. We've got tons and tons of activity right now in our research about measuring enablements, capabilities. It all boils down to did you change my behavior in the way that my bosses up the food chain want it changed? Mm-hmm. And did you give me more time to do my core activities? AI fits beautifully into both of those. It does. But with great AI comes great responsibility. <laughs> All right. So before I let you go, would love to have you just share just some personal advice, if you don't mind. Um, you've been given the gift of time travel. You are allowed to go back the only person you can talk to is some younger version of yourself, but it can be anywhere on that continuum. And you can only coach yourself in one area. So out of all the things you've learned in your career, in your life, what's the biggest thing you wish you could go back and help yourself understand sooner? Make more dad jokes. (laughs) Okay. 
make more dad jokes. And for those I, I caught you flat-footed on that one. You no, know, well, you did. Well, I was waiting for a dad joke because normally I don't get out of a conversation with you without. I know, a dad joke. I know. This is the outlier so far. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, all right. We'll do one then. Okay. A Roman yeah, walks into a bar and says, "I'll have five beers." <laughs> nice. Very nice. I had to think about that one, but not too badly. Some some of them are tougher. Um, all right. Well, Peter, thank you. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate all the energy and effort that you put into, you know, helping our profession, uh, working with the RES board, and um, appreciate you being here. Thank you, you to everybody, everybody else who's been listening. We appreciate you investing another half hour or so of your time. And please continue to do that. You can follow us on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more revenue enablement resources, be sure to join the Revenue Enablement Society at resociety.global. That's resociety.global.